Pastor Stevie. <laughs> Camp will change you. Camp will change you. Hey, Vid. I'm grinning because he's running the games at kids camp. And he's gonna, he's gonna come back a changed man. He's gonna come he's gonna come back an appreciation for kids ministries and kids fasters all over the world. because um, it is not a cakewalk, but it is a lot of fun. I, I did the activities for years at kids camp and it's it's a lot of fun. So hey, how you doing? You doing good? Yeah. Good, I'm glad you're here. You're ready for an uncomfortable conversation? Yeah, all right. All right, today is one of those days that uh, we're going to deal with some things, and uh, I hope you know my heart. My heart is uh, compassion, is love, like to love people. Sometimes when you love people, you've got to be honest with them, all right? Love, loving isn't always affirming behavior. It's confronting behavior at times. And so we're going to talk about things, and my title today is, is Set the Reminder. Anybody set a reminder in your phone? Like you set the reminder because you, you know you're going to forget. And as, as you get older, you forget things. Like you don't even know your wife's phone number anymore. It's just speed dial. Anybody there? You're like, what is my son's number? I don't even know. My, it's just speed dial. Back in the old days when you had to spin the dial and wait and spin the dial and wait. Some of y'all, it was, hey, operator, can you give me this number? Some of y'all remember that. Um, yeah, but my, my, it was the dial. You had to memorize numbers. Well, nowadays, we set reminders for certain things. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today in the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 4. I've been going through this book, and um, I'm, I'm excited to preach this. And it needs to be preached. There's things that I'm going to say today that if you don't hear them correctly, you're going to think I'm judgmental. I'm not a judge. But I might be mental, okay? So just just bear with me, but understand the heart of which I'm preaching, something that God, God put on my heart, put it in his word, and we're going to deal with some stuff today, uh, what's going on in our country, and, and hopefully again that you'll receive it um, from a person that's, that's got some compassion. You know, you've been to a doctor who has bad bedside manners? Like, they can tell you the same thing that a doctor with good bedside manners tells you, and you would rather hear from the good bedside manner? That, that's my heart today. I want to be the good bedside manner doctor. I'm going to tell you what you need to, to be told, um, but I want to do it in a way that, that says, okay, this guy loves people, and that's why he's saying what he's saying. And um, I don't want it to be my words. I want it to be God's word. Because I will be held accountable, right, when I stand before God of what I say. So uh, that's really important to me. So, but we have stuff we just need to talk about today, and we'll get into it in just a little bit. So, you, you ever had somebody, well, let's just, it, it means we're talking about uncomfortable conversations. You ever had somebody with a booger in their nose and you were too afraid to say something? You've been there, you're like seeing and it's hanging, and you're like in staff meeting, and you're going, what do I do here? Because I should point it out, but I'm afraid to. And if you're the one with it, you're glad somebody did, right? Or something in your teeth, like, hey, you got broccoli in your teeth. Now, there are some people that have no bedside manners whatsoever. They're like, hey, bro, you got something in your teeth. Get that out. But other people are like looking at it, and you're, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're looking at it, and you're like, should I say something? It's like, today would be a good day for you to not smile <laughs> because you got something right there. I had a guy one time who loved me very much, and it was in our other building. I was getting ready up to preach, and he looks at me and says, like, you got something in your teeth. I don't know if I ate a granola bar, but he loved me enough to tell me because I would hate to get up here and preach with something in my teeth, and you guys just looking at me the whole time. Does this guy even brush? <laughs> Well, our sound team knows that I brushed because one time I brushed and my microphone was on and I was in my office next door and I'm brushing, I'm brushing away, I didn't know. And I walk in here, they're like, you brush your teeth today? I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah, we know, we heard. It was over the whole sound system. It's like, it's like I'm glad that's all I was doing was brushing my teeth, um, you know? And so now I don't turn my mic on until I get into the building because I, I learn things. But there's some uncomfortable things that we got to talk about, but they're necessary. 
I heard a pastor say this week, and even as I was getting ready to preach this, I thought it was fitting. And he said, what we want to avoid saying is probably the thing that needs to be said. And as pastors these days, we are responsible to tell the truth, not just the fluffy parts of a Bible, not just the fun parts, not the part that will just get a good applause and hey, thanks for that, but it's some of the tough things. And so uh, it absolutely has to do with where we're at in the book of Joshua. And so God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? It's always perfect. So here's the setting. If you haven't been with us uh, for the last week, several weeks through this series, um, we were talking about the, the nation of Israel who's been delivered out of Egypt. They were in slavery for about 430 years. Um, and Moses was leading them out, which should have been about a four or five day trip, turned into 40 years of wandering in a dry, barren desert because of disobedience. Okay, God had promised them this land, and when they sent the spies in, 10 came back and said, we can't do this, and the crowd believed the 10, and God said, I, I'm giving it to you, but because of your lack of faith, because of your disobedience and your rebellion, you're gonna wander for 40 years in the desert, and this generation that, that got freed from Egypt, you're gonna die off, and the generation that you, you have, your kids, they're gonna inherit the promised land. They chose fear over faith, and it cost them, and it always will. So God brought them out to bring them in, and I would say that to you today, that God brought you out of sin to bring you into something better. He, he brought you out of a lifestyle that was destructive into a lifestyle that is productive. God, God has given you something to do and affect this generation in a powerful way. So we can look at our past and say, yeah, it was there. I, I was in slavery to sin. I was in slavery to immorality. I was in slavery to drugs. I was in slavery into addictions. But God brought me out of that to bring me into something beautiful. Not that it's going to be perfect, but he brought you into the kingdom. And that's what giving your life to Jesus does. It gets you out of what you were to bring you into what you can be. So the purpose of the Jordan, we, we kind of stopped here last week. The Jordan River was the boundary between the wandering and I'll say the wondering, like what is in this promised land that God has given us. We talked last week about how they probably heard stories. I'm going to say they did hear stories. They heard stories of what lie beyond the river. Okay, we're in this desert, but boy, there's something beautiful beyond the river. If we can just get across the river and God is going to make a way. The purpose that there was a Jordan River, I believe, was it's a definitive boundary. Okay, regarding the kingdom of God, you're either in or you're out. There is no on the fence with your Christianity. I've talked to people, they're just kind of on the fence. I'm like, there is no fence. It's like an electric fence. Like, you can't get on the fence. You're either serving God or you're not serving God. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. I don't wake up one day wondering, am I married? Because I don't feel married. I could take the ring. Well, actually, this one doesn't come off. My wife purposely bought a ring two sizes too small. It actually wouldn't even fit on my ring, Bob. On the wedding day, I couldn't get it on my, I had to put it on my pinky. She wanted to be sure that I never took this sucker off, all right? Um, and, and it's only been off a couple times, and that's to run a chainsaw sometimes. But, uh, and, and so now it's all calloused and whatnot, because after 30 years, you can get calloused in marriage. It's not how God wants you to be, amen? We're to be sensitive. Right, how many is married to a callous spouse? Let's, let's not answer that, all right? <laughs> Because we all think they are to some point. You see, the problem that we face in our world today is that I can live an immoral lifestyle and still be a Christian, and that's just not true. You can't, right? Can, can you commit immorality? and be? Yes, you can make mistakes. But you can't live a life of immorality and serve God at the same time. Jesus is very clear about light and dark not being able to mix, okay? And, and yet our generation wants you to be neutral. Here's the problem with neutral. The problem with neutral is you can get pushed in any direction by the biggest crowd. 
God doesn't want you to remain neutral in certain things. He wants us to be in gear because what I have found is if you stay in neutral, typically you go backwards. God wants us to be in gear. All right. So you can make a stand for what you believe and still be nice about it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that aren't very nice when they deal with immorality, the, the, the sign holders and the very judgmental things. And we're, our church is not that. Okay, we're not that way. We want to love people in the kingdom of God, but we're also going to be very honest with what we believe. So this new generation that is about to go into the promised land to cross the Jordan River, they don't know anything else but wandering. That's all they've done. The whole 40 years, they're just wandering around. They don't know anything else. And I relate this to desert living and all of us have our desert experiences, don't we? We all go through things in life. We go through dry times. And it's like, man, I want to serve God, but I just don't know where he's at right now in my life. And, and I don't feel him and I don't feel his presence. And I, I, God, are you, are you, I know you're there, but are you really there? We go through those moments. And I believe that the desert experiences should cause us to be thankful for the times of blessing. Right? Because if it's always blessing, you don't recognize it. Sometimes it takes a rough marriage and a divorce to recognize what a good marriage is, right? If you, if you had a marriage and it was not a God-based marriage and then you divorced and got remarried to somebody who loves Jesus, different feeling, isn't it? Amen. Different feeling. So recap from last week, chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. I want to just kind of pick up where we left off. And it says this. And if I was in, well, I am in the correct one. Oh, I'm in the wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Judges. Not the mental. I told you I was mental. We're going to Judges, right? I, I started where I left off last week. We're going to end up in Judges. So I was wondering why it didn't match up. <laughs> and it's not my eyesight, all right? Okay, so. Well, this is funny. Now I'm in. Now I'm in Genesis. You just go ahead and laugh. Our power went out. There we go. See, I cheat. I put little cheater things in there. Soft to a good start, right? All right. We'll hit Genesis on Wednesday night. Okay. Set the reminder. That is the, the title of today's message. All right. Chapter 3, Joshua, verse 15. It says this. Last week I told you where, where Joshua told the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which was like God's box, that carried it on poles. And he said, step into the river, and as soon as you step into the river, the water is going to stop flowing, and the whole two million people or so will be able to cross on dry ground. So that's where we left off. And it says, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, and the Lord of all the earth, makes that clear, set foot in the Jordan, the water quit flowing. Uh, or, sorry, the water flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And we talked about the city of Adam, about 16 miles north, the water piled up and with this invisible dam. And so, uh, so the priest stepped in. And, and what I didn't think about last week that I've thought about this week was that the water only stopped after they stepped. Like it wasn't like, hey, we're going we're gonna to get close and God's going to make the water stop and then we'll take a step. No, they, the water only stopped when they took the step. And what is it from keeping you keeping, what is keeping you from taking a step of faith? Maybe God has asked you to do something. Maybe God has challenged you to do something. And you're like, well, God, as soon as you shut the water off, then I'll step into the promise. No, that's not how it works. We step in faith first. You seen Indiana Jones? Okay, where, where he has to take that step to get across and he's looking and he's like, all he sees is down and he takes a step, but he lands on it because if you look at it from the side, there's actually a bridge. It's just matched up. That is like a life live for God. God knows the bridge is there. He's just waiting for you to take a step. But the water sometimes will only stop before you step or when you step. 
Sometimes God opens the doors and you don't have to step through it. You ever been, isn't that fun when God opens the door and you didn't do nothing? It's like, thank you, Jesus. Most of the time you have to take the step before the water will stop. So faith is something that's very, very real. It wouldn't be faith if it was certain. You wouldn't need faith if it was certain. Uncertainty causes us to have faith. It's like either God is in control of my life or he's not. Right? He's in control. Let him have control. So chapter 4, verse uh, 1 through 24. Here's what I'm going to do. This is going to take a little bit of time. You okay if I read your story? Okay, because this is, this is the teaching part of it. I need to read the story, and then we're going to go back and talk about a few things that happen. But I want to read it through. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, so the priests went in, the water stopped, they went over on dry ground. The Lord said to Joshua, I kind of likened it. You ever seen Mormon crickets? If you're new to Idaho, you ever seen Mormon crickets? There's these big crickets. They come every couple of years and they just, they go across the road. If your Horseshoe Bend Hill is an active crossing place. So if you ever see a sign that says slick road ahead, it's not ice. Right? It's, they're, they're giant Mormon crickets by the millions and they're very slippery. So actually be careful because it's a, it's a real thing. And I pictured the Mormon crickets going across the highway of asphalt like I did the Israelites going across a riverbed of rocks. Like just a swarm of a million people or two million people or so just going across. And just an amazing sight. People from Jericho are watching it going, what in the world? The river just stopped and now they're coming across and there's 40,000 armed men ahead of everybody. So they're ready for battle. So that's the scene. All right. So from among the people, choose 12 men, Joshua said, one from each tribe. And tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So he picked 12 leaders from the 12 tribes, and he says, where those priests are standing, I want them to go get some big rocks. Put them on your shoulder and carry them up to the shore, because we're going to make this little monument, and there's a reason. He said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Again, each of you is to take a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign. Why, why stones? Verse 6. To serve as a sign among you in the future when your children, not if your children, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them, carried them over with them to their camp and they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. There was actually two different stone piles. One was where the priest stood. Joshua put 12 big stones there where they stood, and then they carried 12 other ones up to put them in a place called Gilgal where they would be camping. Now the priest, verse 10, who carried the Ark remained in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. And the people hurried over. I love that. They walk in there. When water's coming, you kind of, there was no five more minutes. It was no, we'll get over there now. I don't think any man waited on his wife here to get her makeup on. He was like, baby, that water could come down at any moment. And I, I know women, they're like, yeah, let's go ahead and get across quick. And then you can fix yourself up. They hurried across because they knew, I think, what was going on upstream. As soon as all of the men had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. 
The men of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. There was about 40,000 armed for battle that crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all the people, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. He would be about 30 years in the promised land before he dies. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stages before. A picture, if you like Lord of the Rings, which I do, when she gets across the river with Frodo and then they they start crossing and all of a sudden the water just comes down and wipes them. Anybody with me on that? All right, good. I I love that scene because that's what I picture. The water just comes rushing down. And uh, so 19, verse 19, actually, let me slow down just a little bit, all right? Verse 18, all right? The Jordan returned to, the pla- returned to their place and the, it ran at flood stages before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that he had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before until we had crossed over. He did this so all the Israelites of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. A little bit of a long story. But the crossing was a memorable thing. The people that actually did the crossing would not forget and what do we do as, as, as parents when we go on vacation or we do that, our kids are doing something cool, what do we pull out and take a picture? We, use, right, we take our phone and we call it a phone, but it's actually a lot more than that. And what do we do? Do we take pictures of something? Why? To preserve a memory. I was looking through some memories that are like 12 years ago, my Facebook thing popped up and I started looking through all these memories going, man, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about, I forgot about my chickens. I forgot about my rooster who used to jump and land on my shoulder and eat my tater tots as I was sitting outside. And I was like, I forgot about that guy. The guy that lost his life to a fox. They actually all got killed by foxes, but uh, different story. Memories are important. Y'all want to know what's under this? You do? What do you think it is? Guess. Hey, memory, you're exactly right. To you, it's just a rock. It's just a rock. That, that means nothing to y'all. It means nothing to y'all. And it shouldn't, because it's not your memory. But this rock is a rock that I picked up when my dad and I were working up at our timberland, clearing roads out with tractors. Just there's a memory. And I saw it there, and I, grabbed, I thought it was a cool rock. But that, that means something to me. It's a memory with my dad. Okay? And it sits in my flower bed, and there's other rocks that they mean different things. But that means something to me. It's a memory. It's a memory. And that is what Joshua is telling them here is you set up 12 stones because every kid notices a pile of rocks. If you don't believe me, come to softball on Tuesday or Thursday nights and you will see the kids in the rock pit packing rocks up out of the pit. What I need to convince them is the the rocks need to be outside the pit and not in the pit because then the rocks will end up in the pit after softball is over. Because the rocks are supposed to be in the hole. How many kids throw rocks into holes, not out of holes? Our kids at our church pack them out. Why? Because they're supposed to be in. There's a rebellious seed that's just in them. 
And you know what rocks in the ball fields mean? It means, it means new lawnmower blades. <laughs> so it's actually costing you money as a church when you allow your children to play with rocks. Yeah. Because somebody's got to find the blades somewhere, right? So tell those kids, throw the rocks in the hole. Kids like piles of rocks, and it's just a thing to remember. See, crossing, again, was a memorable thing, but God doesn't want us to forget because God knows human tendency, and we tend to forget. Okay, Memorial Weekend, okay? Last weekend was, was to, to remember those who have given their lives for this great country. That's what it's for. And when you have a government leader who says it's just a long three-day weekend and does not mention anything about the sacrifice, that's bad. That's bad. It's not something that I appreciate, right? We know we don't remember why we had Memorial Weekend is because there were men and women willing to give their lives and did give their lives for this great country. Right. Many of you signed up, okay, because I have a lot of military. You military, just raise your hand if you would. A lot of military in here. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you did. You've, okay, if you're in law enforcement or we, we just appreciate that you were willing to die, even though you didn't, and I'm glad you didn't, you were willing to. Yep. You signed up knowing this could cost me my life, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Uh, some of y'all got drafted. I'm sorry. Um, but you went anyway because you could have went north. Should I just stop at that? Because, okay. Um, so, thank you. Just, I'll just stop at that, all right? So thank you for not. Thank you for, for doing that. But, but Memorial Day means something more to you than it does a generation who really hasn't seen war or it hasn't cost them anything. It's not just a three-day weekend. It's to remember, okay? The cross, again, symbols of sacrifice. Don't forget what the cross means. We, we, as a country, have downplayed what Christmas really means, right? It's winter break. No, it's Christmas. It means that Jesus was born to die for our sins. Easter is the same way. It's Easter has become spring break. No, it, it's Easter. And Jesus came out of that grave, right? We, as a nation, have tried to downplay the memory. We, we've taken the rocks and we've tried to make the rock mean something different, And we got to get back to really what the rocks really mean. And that means God will never fail you. See, here's what I've learned. When we forget, we fail to appreciate. When we forget, we fail to appreciate. Don't forget, God knows our tendencies, thus the instructions. God knows the Israelites' tendencies, thus the rocks. If God would have said, this is so amazing, nobody's ever going to forget. No, he knows human tendency that we tend to forget. That's why we need memorials. This is why we talk about God, because it says when your kids ask, okay, why do we talk about God? We talk about God to our kids because our kids need to be reminded there's a God that loves them, that there's a Jesus that died for our sins and that we need to serve him. We need to do what he asks us to do, all right? We need to bring them to church. Why? Because it exposes them to the truths of God. What I've learned about children and teenagers is that you can tell them till you're blue in the face a certain thing, but the preacher says it, and all of a sudden their, their lives are changed. They're like, wow, Pastor Chase said this today. You're like, I've been telling you that for 15 years, knucklehead. Right? But, but coming out of a different mouth is heard differently through different ears. So that's why they need to be in churches. They're exposed to the things of God. You tell them what God made them to be. All right? And here's where we get into some of the uncomfortable conversation that we need to have. All right, You ready for it? Yeah. Okay. You tell them as a parent what God made them to be. God made male and female. He made male and female. That's what he did. Even my four-year-old granddaughter understands this. Um, when, a year ago when they lived with us, she said, Papa, you're a boy or a girl. You can't be both. 
I was like, preach it, sister. She's like a little four years old. She knows the difference, right? She's like, you can't be both. And, and we weren't even talking about the whole gender thing. I don't even know where it came from. Uh, but she understands as a four-year-old that this is not a confusing thing, that God made it very easy to know what gender you are. He did. Here's how I know this. We could line up a million nude people and every single one of you would pass the gender identification test. You would go, boy, boy, girl, girl, boy, boy. You, you would, why? Because God has made it so obvious. Physically, he made it obvious. Now, there is some confusion, and we are graceful for that. As a church, as a pastor, I am graceful for people that are struggling with their identity gender-wise. I, I am. You just need to hear me, all right? Amen? This, this, this pause. My motive here is, is good. It's not judgmental, but here's the thing. Kids go through confusing times in life. Before they hit puberty, sometimes they don't know what they are. And it's our job to tell them, no, God made you a boy, right? God made you a boy, and you were going to be a man of God. You're going to be a good husband. You're going to be a great dad. You're going to have my grandkids. You need, if they're in that confusion stage, it's our job to guide them. Not judge them, but guide them as parents. Okay, how can I make this simpler, all right? I've never, that I remember stolen anything in my life. But I did take a piece of gum once. Okay, I was probably three or four years old. Little country town, I go into the store, there's a piece of bazooka bubble gum. Remember how the cartoon's in it? All right. And, and I, I saw it was there. It was for the taking. It was in front of my face as my mom was paying for groceries. And I grab one, I'm chewing on it, get in the car. I can remember it. And, and I'm chewing. And she says, what do you, where'd you get that gum? I was like, in the store, it was free, like, right? It was right there. She's like, no, we got to pay for that. So she gave me three cents and marched me back in, and, and I had to pay for it. And I learned that just because it looks free doesn't mean it is free. Okay? Just because they put it right in front of your face, it means you can take it. But here's what my mom did not do. My mom did not go, Stan, I see that you're, you're kind of bent towards stealing. And so if that's how you feel, let's encourage this. The next time we go back into the store, try to take a few more. Because let's practice what you're feeling here. Would you say that was good parenting? No. What, what is It's guiding a feeling. Any fellow pyros? Rick, I know Ricky's pyro. Anybody like explosions and fire? I liked fire. I liked playing with matches as a kid. My dad saw this gift in me and he said, Stan, I am going to develop you, bro. You get all the matches you want. You go to light as many fires as you want to because that's just what you feel like doing. I'm going to encourage this behavior. You'd be like, that's bad parenting, right? I just want to hit my brother with a hockey stick. Actually, I didn't have hockey sticks when I was a kid. Let's say baseball bat, all right? And, and I want to hit my brother with a baseball bat. Well, if that's what you feel, go ahead. Wouldn't you say that was bad parenting? So here's the uncomfortable conversation. When we have little kids that are kind of confused about their gender, we can't encourage that. We can't say, well, well, son, you feel like a girl, so let's go ahead and put, move you that direction. You can say, no, I understand what you're feeling, but you're a boy. God made you that way. God made you that way. And, and, and then when I was a kid, who, had, who were tomboys? Ladies in here, like when you were a girl, you were like a tomboy. You love trucks and you love dirt and you love hunting, all right? You would fit right in. If you're single, there's a lot of men in this church are looking for women like that. I like, I drive a truck and I hunt. Well, you're qualified to a lot of our single guys here. You were considered a tomboy, you just you, you were a girl that liked dirt and you liked trucks. It didn't make you weird, right? It just meant that's what you liked. And yet today we're we're like, oh, well, you must be a different ginger, born in a different body. That that no, we can't encourage that. 
We can't encourage it. We have to say, no, God made you a boy. And get it. I'm not being uncompassionate. I know people struggle with this. And we've got to be compassionate as a church. And we'll get to there in just a moment. Uh, we, but we have to be able to will, be willing to say, no, you know, your, your feelings are going to fail you. Yeah. Your feelings are going to fail you. And again, where's the line? What do we encourage? Okay. So kids go through confusing times in life. And our, our job as parents, as a church, is to guide them in those times. Not encourage sinful behavior. Okay? Oh, you like to steal stuff? Okay, well, let's encourage... No, no. The, the, it's, a, it's against the Bible. So we have to be willing to talk about those things. Are you still with me? So here's what I believe. We're programming our kids by allowing feelings to win over facts when the facts need to override my feelings. Right? That we have to do that. We have to, we're allowing our kids... Because if we don't say anything, the world will program our kids. All right, I'm going to go into something different here. Pastor Steve, how do you kick the AC on again, please? I don't know why it keeps shutting off, but it's supposed to be 100 degrees outside today. My preach is so good. I'm on fire up here. I'm roasting. Maybe it's just that I'm going into uh, some uncomfortable conversation. Okay, I want you to do something for me. This is going to be a little bit hard. I want you to take morality and God out of this picture right now. Yeah, we're sitting in church. I just want you to, to look at it, not from a moral standpoint, not from a God standpoint, not even from a biblical standpoint. I, I want you to look at what I'm about to tell you through a logical standpoint. That way the, the, the field is level, okay? So here's some secular studies. Somebody mentioned to me about some, some things with a homosexual lifestyle of, of the downsides to it. And so I went online, and you can Google all this stuff, and there are secular studies. It's not a Christian organization that put this stuff out. It's not an anti-homosexual organization. It is a, matter of fact, one of them was a homosexual organization that's saying, we have a problem here. So I want to read to you some statistics, and then we'll, I want to, to talk about this, because you will not hear this on the news. You won't hear this, um, you know, shouted in the streets, but I want to tell you, here's, here's the deal. They surveyed 5,500 17 to 59-year-old males. Up to 27% were found to have the HIV virus. We've heard a lot about viruses, haven't we? The latter virus in the last year and a half. But how much have we heard about the HIV virus? 13% of these men died of AIDS. 0.1% died of HIV for straight people. 44% of, of these men were more likely to uh, die of AIDS as straight. 44% higher death rate than straight people. 100 times more likely to have rectal cancer. I didn't even heard of that one before. I mean, I knew it was real, but 100 times more likely to have rectal cancer. The average lifespan of a non-homosexual male in America, 78.5 years. The average lifespan of a homosexual, 43 to 49. You see a pattern here? Like, there's a lot of death that's happening. That's, okay. Now we go into men and women or boys and girls. Okay, especially with 17 to 24-year-olds. Suicide attempts are three times higher like suicide attempts are three times higher in the LGBTQ community. Again, this is coming from an organization that promotes it, saying, hey, we need to, there's a problem here. We need to stop this. So drug use, okay, three times higher with an LGBTQ person. Depression, three times higher. Suicide is the third leading cause of death in ages 15 to 24-year-olds um, in the LGBTQ community. 34,000 a year are killing themselves. Okay, four times more likely than the straight community. So in the LGBT community of teenagers, okay, boys and girls, 15 to 24, there's a four times likely that they will kill themselves. Do we, do we, do we see a problem here that, that our world, guys, 
has dedicated the month of June to pride. And we're dead, logically, take God out of the equation, take morality out of the equation. We are dedicating a whole month to this lifestyle that is killing people three to four times faster than normal. Do we have a problem with this? I do, because I love people, especially young people. And here we are promoting something that is killing people, and our world is acting like, no, just go ahead and live this way. And I think that's wrong. That's the message, right? Why? Because we have to be able to go back to the stones and say, no, to live God's way is the right way. To live in case, again, taking God, taking morality out of it. I'm I'm preaching just statistically. If we encourage this lifestyle, we are saying, yo, you have four times the chance of of killing yourself or dying, but go ahead. Wear your mask, protect against corona, but go ahead. I'm I'm serious, but, but go ahead and live this lifestyle that is more likely to kill you than coronavirus. Guys, our, our country is getting messed up in what we're not preaching. And I am here just to say, you know, I felt God put this on my heart. And it's, you know, Pastor Stevie knows, it's like, I really don't want to talk about this. Like, but what's uncomfortable needs to be talked about. And again, it's from a heart of love. And before you judge me, I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, um, we got hit last week with a, I call them trolls. Like somebody trolled our church and, and complained about the message and da, 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 da. And my mind goes immediately to this. When's the last time that this person who complained personally led somebody to Jesus Christ? Probably not. Because it's way easier to judge from a behind a computer screen than get out and actually do what God has made you to do. Okay. Number two, how many in our church right now have, have embraced a person with AIDS? I have. Okay, good. That's good to see. Big hug. I found I had a friend who, who, who got AIDS, and the first thing I did, just been big hug. said, man, I love you. We're with you through this. Okay? So before people judge me as being a homophobic, that is not me. And if you know me, you know that's not me. I have homosexual friends. Right. Told one I loved him yesterday, right? So you need to get my heart here. Is My heart is about saving people's lives, not promoting something that's going to end up in death and depression and all this stuff. So again, we are compassionate toward those who are struggling with this. We're compassionate toward parents who have kids that are going this direction. Okay, we are with you. You need to get that. We are with you. We love your family. But the truth has to be preached because the world is not telling you this information. They're promoting something that is killing people. And leading it out. So, I, again, you can go and find this stuff online. Uh, and it breaks my heart. They, they've interviewed people with gender reassignment surgery. Thinking, well, if I get my gender changed physically, then something will happen. Well, it didn't change anything mentally. They still had the anguish. Still had the depression. It didn't change anything. Why? Because an outside change is not going to change the heart. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Right? So, as a church, again, we talk about it, but we have to say love is our motive. We love people. Because if I didn't love anybody, I wouldn't tell you the truth. Matter of fact, if I hated you and your house was on fire, I'd be like, all right, watch it burn, baby. Right? Wouldn't call the fire department. No, but when we love people, we have to speak some things out. So love is not affirming behavior. I had a really good talk with a 21-year-old, very mature young lady after church. And she's she's saying, love is not affirming everybody's behaviors. Love is not saying, hey, that's okay. No, love is going, wait, stop. Okay, staying playing with fire is going to hurt you. Staying stealing stuff is going to rob something. You know, wanting to smash your brother with a bat, it will lead to bad places. So we don't, love is not affirming. We have this bad definition of what love is. Love doesn't just overlook problems. It's confronting problems in a loving manner. Not a bad doctor with bad bedside manners. Okay, I want to have good bedside manners. So here's the deal. You tell your kids what God made them to be. You acknowledge the struggle. 
You can say, I'm, hey, I'm so sorry you're having these feelings. I'm sorry you're going this direction. You say it out of compassion, right? Don't discount their feelings. Don't do that. Don't, well, you shouldn't feel like that. Don't, doesn't that change us when we do it when somebody tells you you shouldn't feel that way? How many of us go, yeah, you're right, I shouldn't, and then and you move on? No, you're like, shut up, go tell me, right? No, we, we, we can, don't invalidate what they're feeling. Understand the tendencies and love them through it. That, as a church, that's what we're supposed to do. Amen. We're supposed to do that. So don't, don't validate the, the feelings either. Don't say, hey, it's okay. So here's what I know. I can accept you as a person without accepting the lifestyle. That, that, that's, we can do that. And the world has a hard time understanding that. But we say what we say because we love people. Are there pastors out there that preach hate? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been accused of it. And if you know me, I don't preach hate. I just preach the truth. But I can see how it could be taken that way. My, my philosophy on that is, is if you don't really believe God, why do you care what I say? Why, why does it matter what I say if you think I'm crazy? Right? But there's something spiritual to it. That's why they care. Okay, and that's the truth. So here is the clear. To be clear, the church, and this was my post from last night, the church is to be a hospital, not a courtroom. That's right. that, not to be a court. We're not here to be judge, trial, and boom, that that's not our job. Our job is to be a hospital. But what happens in a hospital? And let me explain this to you. Even a doctor has to be honest about your condition. A judge can be, you know, he can make a decision and boom, gavel, you're you know, going to be sentenced or you're free. But as a doctor, he has to be honest about what you're facing. Let's say you go to the doctor and you have cancer. Don't get mad at the doctor for diagnosing your condition. Don't get mad at the doctor for saying, you know what, you have cancer and it's going to kill you. Matter of fact, I would say a doctor with good bedside manners is needed in those moments. Some of you have gone through this. Some of you have lost loved ones to it. But a doctor, the doctor that ignores the cancer, a doctor that would say, you know what, to his nurse, boy, this is terminal, but I just don't want to hurt their feelings. So should we just say, hey, man, your feet look great. Like your heart sounds good. And your liver, man, tip top. Kidneys, eh, all right. But not tell you you have cancer. Wouldn't you say that would be some sort of malpractice? Like if you went and the doctor knew you had something that would kill you, and just didn't say anything because he was afraid to hurt your feelings. I would say that's not a very good doctor. I would say that would be a doctor that really doesn't care about your life. A good doctor is going to tell you what you need to know. He's going to tell you a diagnosis, hopefully in a loving manner, but he's going to be honest with you. And that's what the church, that's what the church means. You, you wouldn't go to a doctor and say, oh, you have cancer, boom, you're dead, sorry, next. You'd be like, well, that's playing judge. A doctor says, what can we do to take care of this? What can we do? Okay, here's what we need to do. We need to change some lifestyle. We need to get some chemo. We need to go to surgery. We need to do something with this. As a patient, you then have the choice as to whether or not you're going to allow the doctor to operate on you. You're going to have the choice to say, yeah, I don't believe you. Yeah, you're saying I got cancer. I don't have cancer. I don't feel like I have cancer. That's sometimes the most dangerous kind that you don't know about is the ones that you don't feel, okay? Because then it's too late. The good doctor is the one that would tell you, hey, here's the prognosis and here's what we need to do about it. And as a pastor, as a Christian, that is my heart to say, hey, we have an issue. Let's deal with it the right way. The issue is still there, but we still have to deal with it. We have to deal with, deal with it in a loving manner. And again, that's why I say the church is to be a hospital, not a courtroom. I don't want anybody that's struggling with their gender to walk into this place and feel judged. I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel like this is a place that I could help, you know, that will help me get over this stuff. Because we have people that struggle in this place. Okay, I've told you the story, maybe you're newer, that we, we had a, a gay couple that came, to, two men, that came and sat in the back for a long time. 
I knew they were because somebody told me, okay? I, I, you couldn't have told just by watching. And what I found out was the guy was dying of cancer. What a better place to be than right here at Change Life Church. They got hugs for me. They got handshakes, okay? I don't know if they changed his lifestyle. I didn't preach against it. What I preached was the salvation of Jesus Christ. And I hope that on his deathbed, he repented. I hope that he gave his life to Christ. And I hope he's in heaven. Okay, that's, a hard, that's what a hospital does, Right? But we still have to be truthful. So as far as behavior goes, okay, we, we have to be able to confront it. But also, I understand this, that silence is often viewed as consent. If you drive by a police officer every day and you go faster and faster and faster and he's running a radar but he never pulls you over, pretty soon you're going 80 and 55, he never pulls you. What, what are you saying? He's allowing you to do it, right? Not, not pulling you over is consent to say, go ahead, <laughs> I don't know if that's any, ever happened, but, um, you know, because they got to do their job. But silence is often viewed as consent. So the purpose of the stones was to remind the next generation of God's faithfulness and to serve him. And then they lived happily ever after, and the Israelites have been serving God ever since. I wish that were the case. Now we go to Judges chapter 2, but it tells us here a different story. There was a prognosis. There was a prescription given, but they failed to listen. And here's what took place. Judges chapter 1, verse 2. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 6. It says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they had been in the land about 30 years. They were overtaking it, fighting, fighting their way through it, possessing the land that God promised them. So 30 years of it. It says, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done in Israel. So the generation that he led in were dying off. And it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the humble age, or I'm sorry, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah and Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. And here's the heartbreaking verse. Another generation, in other words, their kids that did not cross the Jordan River, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the story goes on to say, and they got into, into bondage again. They got into slavery and, and oppression. Why? Because they failed to remember now, did they fail to remember or did a generation fail to teach? I don't know, probably both. But it says this new generation that grew up didn't know the Lord, didn't know what he did. Why? Because I believe the people didn't say. The people didn't talk about it. The people didn't go back to the stones and say, son, daughter, come here, I want to, I want to remind you, God is faithful, God will get you through. But God also means what he says when he says to obey. And because they refused to believe and they refused to live it, they got back into to spiritual bondage and physical bondage to the nations that they didn't get out. And God said, wipe everybody out, and they didn't. They allowed the evil people to stick around, and they begin to be influenced. But that, that verse breaks my heart. Why? Because that generation somehow didn't pass on the things of God. And I'm afraid that that's where we are in America. That this new generation is raised up to thinking that a rainbow is, is a gay pride thing instead of God's promise thing. And it's time to take that back, right? God made that. And so when you see, like I challenged you last week, when you see a rainbow flag, don't ignore it. Okay, you tell the kids what the real meaning is because they're getting programmed to, to, for it to mean gay pride and that's not what it means to our generation. Okay, it will if we don't tell them as Christians. Say, no, that is God's promise. He promised after the flood, he wiped everybody out. God promised not to flood the earth again. God keeps his promises to us. 
And why did God wipe out the people? Because of immorality. Okay, we're going through that on Wednesday night. So we, we, we have to just not ignore it, but we have to say, hey, this is really what the rainbow means, and we need to pass that on. Why? Because the kids will forget if we don't tell them. Now that is a rock, and Jesus is the rock. He's our foundation. And we need to tell our, our new generation about Jesus. Okay? I have to do my, my part. In, now, now, let me talk to you, though, those of you who raised your kids right, and they're still not serving God. Listen, don't feel guilty about that. You did your best. Okay? Their response is not your responsibility. And you, you beat yourself up going, I wish I did different. I wish I did this. No, you did the best you knew how to do. People still will make their choice. So some of you are carrying some false guilt around, like, I, wish, I just wish I... No, don't, don't play that game. You can't. You can't play that game. You allow God to let those seeds that you planted to take root, okay? And hopefully later down the road, they'll come back. All you can do is pray for them. But quit beating yourself up. Please don't do that. Please don't beat yourself up over your kids' decisions. Okay, you did what you knew to do. You do the best you can. And they're going to stand before God, not you. Okay, and that's a sad thing. You just keep praying for them because, again, Proverbs 22 6, what's it say? Train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't do it. It doesn't say they're in between. <laughs> in between, they might go nuts. So you just keep praying. Keep praying, okay? Some, some of you, have, how many hands? Just lift your hand. If you have a kid that's just going nuts right now, lift up. Okay, this is important. Look around. You're not alone. Guys, you have, you're in good company with other parents who feel the same pain that you do of why isn't my kid doing what I've taught? Well, they have their choice, okay? You just, just say, I did, God, I did the best I can. I got to give them to you now. But quit, please don't beat yourself up over that. Okay, you, you did the best that you knew how to do. People will simply make their choices, all right? Just because you teach kids to live God's way doesn't mean that they will. Again, it's a choice, but you gave them a best chance, okay? You gave them the, you gave them the gospel. You did. And now they know, and now I believe that, that they'll come home because the Bible actually talks about the end times, people returning, Right, that the truth will come back. So just hold on to that. I'm just do my. I'm responsible to do my part in teaching them. So as a country, uh, we're going away from God pretty fast. We're teaching pride instead of humility. Think about that. Okay, we're teaching pride, and we should never be proud of immorality. We should never be, because God says no. The judgment will come, and we got to be careful what we're proud about. Okay, be proud of humility. Again, we should never be proud of immorality of any kind. So stick to the truth of God's word. Tell your kids and your grandkids about Jesus and stick to your standards. Stick to your standards. Do the best you can. You see, loving people is confrontation. I want to close with a, a true story called Deadly Marbles. And this really happened in, in Mexico. It says, The Mexican man who loaded the scrap metal from a southern Arizona junk pile into his beat-up truck bed was excited. This big haul would mean food on the table and money in his pocket once he transferred the metal into cash at the scrap metal recycler in Mexico. As the truck pulled onto the highway, little steel balls from an antique dental x-ray machine began to drop onto the ribbed bed of the pickup. These tiny radioactive marbles bounced around among the shifting sheets of metal and rolled back and forth in the truck bed. Some of them even spilled onto the highway. After the scrap metal had been transformed into pesos, the man hurried back to his village with the little metal ball still rolling in the grooves of his pickup bed. In no time, children discovered these shiny new bright treasures, and the game of marbles became popular in the village. The balls were a coveted addition to any child's collection of glassies, cat's eyes, peewees, and jumbos. But before long, many in the town began to complain of similar symptoms. Red rash, fatigue, hair loss, 
vomiting. After many months and several deaths in the village, the truth was then discovered. Dozens of people were suffering from severe radiation poisoning. You see, these pretty little balls, once held, coveted, treasured, played with, and traded, turned out to be both delightful and deadly. True story. And I'm afraid in our country that we are playing with radioactive balls and being told that it's okay. To being told it won't hurt you. When in doubt, it's causing death. Okay. Whatever kind of sin it is, because all sin produces death, all right, we have to stand against it in a loving manner, but still call it for what it is. Okay? God wants us to be righteous. He wants us to do our best to teach this young generation what sin is and what it looks like. Amen? You all doing all right? Okay. I promise you next week I'll be much nicer because I won't be preaching. Pastor Steve will be bringing the word, so... Amen. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Amen. All right, everybody cool? Everybody cool? All right? Uncomfortable but necessary. All right? I, I, again, I just want you to know my heart. I want you to know my heart because, again, you, somebody could take one little thing I said and make me this mad, crazy person. That will probably happen. But I, I, I hope that you're okay with me obeying God's voice to say we need to talk about this stuff because our world sure is not afraid to talk to your kids about it. And they will give their own slant or direction on what it is. So as a Christian, we are to be loving and kind, compassionate, okay? Seeking to see people say or lost that are saved. Okay, that's our heart. But we have to stand strong for what we believe in because it's only going to get harder. Amen? I think we are in the way we are as a country because Christians failed to really stand up for what was right. Again, don't be a jerk about it. Okay? Don't go quote me on Facebook and put Stan Johnson and make it just one little fraction of what I said, all right? And get me in trouble. But I'll tell you, I will not apologize for the truth of God's word. I will not. Amen. I would apologize for bad bedside manners because that's kind of thing, but I won't apologize for anything that I said today because it's God's word and it's backed up by God's word. Amen. I would rather you all leaving out going, yeah, Jericho March, we're good, but you're all even thinking, all right? Train our kids. Train our kids. Tell them the truth. Amen. All right, I have no idea what time it is. 12.13. Oh, you want to go home early? It's hot. All right, well, let me... <laughs> best amen I got all day. All right. but before, before you go, I do have to ask you a question. Number one is, are you right with God today? That's the thing that the most important is that you're right with the Lord. Whatever life you have lived, whatever sins you have committed, some of you have gone, man, I've done way too much for God to forgive. No, you're the one that he's targeting. You're the one that he, he loves the most. Like, no, I want you to come home. Son or daughter, I want to forgive you. I want to make your life new. I want to set you straight. I want to get you on the right path. But you have to come to me. You have to confess your sins. You have to say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. It's, it's that simple. It's not joining a church. It's not joining a religion. It's simply asking Jesus to forgive you. And if that's you today, if you would just bow your heads with me, just out of respect for people around you. And here's how I do it here. I just say, if that's you, just raise your hand up where I can see it. If you need to get forgiven, if you need to give Jesus your life today, guys, there is a heaven and there's a hell. There is only two destinations. When we die, you go to heaven or you go to hell. And how do we get to heaven? By simply asking Jesus to be our savior and living for him. And who needs to make that decision today? Anybody at all? Just lift your hand up. I'm not going to take long. It's my, not my job to force anybody, but okay. I don't see any hands. All right. I guess second service is the saved service. Amen. First service, we actually had some saving going on. So Father, thank you so much for this day. And I pray again, Lord, that my words were honoring to you. Lord, you know my prayer before church was, Lord, that my words honor you today. Let them not be mine, but let me speak the truth of your word in a loving manner. 
And help us again to be leaders in this generation that seems to be so much against you in your ways. Help us to stand strong, but help us to do it in a loving way. And we love you and we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, love y'all. Have a wonderful afternoon. Uh, Wednesday night, church, 7 o'clock.